So uh, we've been, Sean, my wife Sean and I have been talking some this week about the fact that uh, we've been thirsty all week. And maybe it's a little unusual because it hasn't been terribly hot, but we've been talking so much. We were in Psalm 63 last week about thirsting for God. We've been talking a lot about our thirst conference. I don't know if anybody else has literally been a little bit thirsty this week, but that theme seems to keep coming up, and we're going to talk about it again today. Last week, we talked about the importance of just our souls thirsting for God and the fact that God has designed us, you know, designed our bodies to thirst, to, to let us know when we are needing something. And so it is important for us to thirst for God. And we talked about the fact that when we ignore thirst, it tends to go away. So we need to be very careful to make sure we're thirsting. But today we're going to take the next step in that and talk about, okay, once we're thirsty, what do we do with that? What do we fill ourselves with? Because here's the problem. The thirst signal that our brain sends is satisfied, that, that thirst is satisfied no matter what we drink. So it's intended to drive us toward filling our bodies with what we need. But the studies that have been done have shown it really doesn't matter what you drink. If you are drinking something, that thirst uh, signal goes away. You could be drinking something that's actually doing more harm to your body than good, or you could be drinking something that actually is what your body needs. Today, we're going to take the next step and say, okay, we've talked some about thirsting for God, but today let's talk about filling ourselves with the right kinds of things, right? Uh, John chapter 7 is where I want you to join me today. Open your Bible there with me and follow along if you would. John 7, 37 through 39, and this is what it says. Um, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now let me provide a little context for what we just read here. Uh, This was takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Booths. This was uh, designed to remember God's faithfulness when he delivered the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. It's what we call the Exodus. They were led out. And on the way, God provided several different miracles. I mean, he he gave them food that appeared on the, the ground every morning, this manna that they would eat. He provided water in a desert out of a rock. And as the people were traveling from Egypt to the promised land, they were living in tents or booths, right? Temporary shelters. And in Leviticus 23, God tells Moses, I want you to instruct the people from now on because I want them to remember my faithfulness during this time. I want you to instruct them that every year for seven days, they are to live in tents. This is the festival of of tabernacles or booths or uh, called uh, both of those. But I want them to remember what I have done. And so it was a big deal every year when they would do this. And the Orthodox Jews still celebrate this festival today. They will take tents, set them up in the courtyards, maybe on flat roofs if they have flat roofs. I've seen documentaries where the kids absolutely love it. But they will live in tents for a week. And they will celebrate and remember what God has done. And so that's what's going on. And Jesus' brothers expected him to go and teach at this festival. And he didn't because, one, he knew there were people that were trying to kill him. 
And his time, this wasn't the right time yet. But he waited about halfway through. I think it's verse 14 in John 7 that says about halfway through the festival, Jesus did go up and he began to teach. But the rest of the chapter tells us people had lots of different opinions about Jesus. Some of them were amazed at his teaching, even though he was unschooled. Some of them thought perhaps this is the Messiah. Some of them said he's possessed by a demon. The Pharisees wanted him arrested. People had all kinds of different opinions about Jesus. And he stands up to teach. It says uh, here in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Now let me explain what that means because this provides some important context for what he's about to say. For seven days, the seven days of the feast, the priests, there, there were a couple of priests that would participate in the, a ritual. One of them would take a golden pitcher and he would go out the, the, the door to the pool of Siloam, plunge this golden pitcher into the pool, fill it with water, bring it back. Another priest would take a drink offering, would take wine, put it in a pitcher. The two of them would ascend the steps above the altar. They would pour the water and the wine in these big funnels that would then run down across the base of the altar. It was a reminder of the presence of God, the joy that comes, the life that comes through God's presence. And this was repeated seven consecutive days. But then on the last day, they actually added an eighth day. And on the eighth day, they did not perform the water ritual, but they would pray for God to provide. And they would remember that God had led them into the promised land. So that's the context here. After seven days of this water ritual, Jesus then stands up on the eighth day, on this great day, the last final day, and it says that he cried out. That word to cry out, it means to, to shriek. Uh, it, it means just what you would think of when you think cry out, to scream perhaps. This is quite out of the ordinary for Jesus. In fact, Isaiah 42.2, which is a messianic prophecy, says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. We studied this passage leading up to Christmas. And we talked about the fact that the Messiah who came was not one who was always shouting for attention or trying to be the loudest voice in the room. In fact, he was one saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is un unusual for Jesus to stand up and to cry out like this. So what he is saying must be really important. And it's his last opportunity at this particular festival to do this because he knows his time is coming to an end. He's about to be crucified before long. And so he stands up and he cries out. What does he cry out? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's his message. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There are a few really important words here that are going to form the, the basis for the main ideas that, that I want us to talk about today. The first one is that word anyone. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Here's the first big idea today. Anyone who's thirsty is invited to come to Jesus. Anyone. Not just the religious people. Not just the people who had it all together. Not just those without bad habits or addictions. Not a certain socioeconomic status or a certain racial background. No, everybody, anybody. If anyone is thirsty, Jesus said, let him come to me. He came to reach anyone who was, had a thirsty soul. Now, 
to, to acknowledge that we have a thirsty soul is to acknowledge that there is a deficiency in us because thirst indicates deficiency. It means we're deficient in water. We need hydration, right? Weird things happen to us when we're not hydrated. Uh, we begin to get confused. We may get headaches. We may get nauseous. We, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that, that dehydration can lead to. And that those things can only be addressed by hydrating ourselves. And Jesus is saying, if you're thirsty, in, in essence, are you acknowledging that there is something deficient? Is there, is there something inside of you? Like, man, there's, I, there's more that I know that I need. Those that are thirsty are invited to come to him. That's the second word that I want us to look at is the word come. Come to me. We must come to Jesus. That's the second main thought today. We, we have to come to him. I mean, yes, he has already done everything necessary for that to happen. In fact, he has come to us. Jesus is the one who left uh, heaven, came to earth for the purpose of becoming a sacrifice for us, Jesus came to die in our place. He took the wrath of God for us. The Bible tells us that our sin separates us from God and all of us are sinful. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus died in our place. And a remarkable thing happened when Jesus died on the cross. There was a, a, a big curtain that separated in the temple that separated the most holy place, the, the dwelling place of God from the place that others could be. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, when he said it is finished, that curtain was torn into from top to bottom. It was God's way of saying there is no longer any barrier between me and you. And because of that, anyone who wants to come, anyone who is thirsty, is invited to come. And there's, there's nothing to keep us from coming to him because of what Christ has done. Now, we can only come through Christ. Only through faith in Jesus. That's the only way that we can have a relationship with God. But we are invited to come. The question for you is, have you responded to that invitation? Have you come? Has there been a time where you said, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus, I'm giving my heart to you? And if the answer is no, then, then what's stopping you from that? In fact, in just a few minutes when we wrap up this message, I'm going to invite you. The same invitation Jesus came, come to me, those who are thirsty, I want to invite you to come to Jesus today and give you an opportunity, if you haven't already, to trust in Christ and to say, yes, I'm, I'm giving myself to you. I want to come to you in faith the invitation is open. Verse 37 also tells us that, that those who come are to drink. That's the third key word there. Come to me and drink, and our souls will be satisfied. See, we don't just drink from Jesus by coming to him once for salvation and then we're done. No, we, we continue to abide in him. We continue to come to him. We continue to drink from him. And that's what he invites us to do. And when we do that, a remarkable thing happens. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Third main idea is this, that Jesus fills us with living water. He fills us with living water. What is living water? Man, that, that sounds like a very... Religious phrase, doesn't it? What's living water? Well, if you go back uh, just a few chapters, back to John chapter 4, there's a great story of Jesus and his disciples coming into Samaria. The disciples leave Jesus by a well. They go to find food, and a woman shows up in the heat of the day. Now, part of a woman's chores, daily chores in that day and that culture was to fetch water 
for her and for the family. And so the woman would go to the well and she would get water out of the well. But all the women went in the morning before it got particularly hot. And that's precisely why this particular woman went during the heat of the day. Because she would rather be scorched by the sun than to be scorched by the judgmental looks and the whispers of the people who knew all about her business. See, this woman had been married five times. She was currently living with a man that wasn't her husband. She knew what everybody thought about her. The last thing in the world she wanted was to see anybody or to have to have an interaction with anybody. She shows up at the well and guess who's there? Jesus is there. And he begins this conversation. He asks her for a drink, and then pretty soon he flips the conversation to, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. There's that phrase, living water. Living water refers to salvation. It refers to the, not physical water, but the kind of spiritual water that brings our, our hearts to life. And you know, we're just like the woman at the well. Our sins might look different, but we are sinful just like she was. We are without hope apart from Christ, just like she was. We are separated from God eternally, aside from Christ, just like she was. So Jesus, I believe what he said to her is the same thing he would say to us. If you'll ask me, I'll give you living water. That's what he's saying in John 7, same idea. Anyone who thirsts, come to me, and and I will provide this living water for you. Living water is representative of spiritual life, eternal life that we can get only through Christ. We see that picture even in heaven, a picture of heaven in Revelation 22, verse 1. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In heaven someday, there's going to be this this river of water. It's the water of life, this living water. It's going to flow down from God's throne, just this picture of unending life in God's presence. And Jesus said that when we come to him, that out of the one who who comes to him, who places their faith in him, it says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Wow. I mean, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? A river of living water flowing from within us. When I think of a flowing river, I think of something like this picture here. A beautiful picture, right? Great setting. It's peaceful, but it's also powerful. If you've ever tried to, to, to maybe go across or you've gotten in a river that is flowing, it's, it can be dangerous. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of power to it. But to think that that could come out of here, like there could be rivers of living water coming out of our hearts, how in the world is that going to happen? And the answer is it sure isn't going to be something that we can produce on our own. We can't produce rivers of living water. We can't produce even a trickle or even a single drop of living water. This is something that only God can do in us. And when we come to him in faith, that's exactly what he does. Verse 39 explains it this way. It says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. They hadn't yet, because Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. But he's saying, look, this this is the work of the Holy Spirit in uh, so here's the, the last main idea is this, that all of this is the work of the Spirit in us. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Church, I think we need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that over and over again. Because, I don't know about you, I can get so accustomed to just kind of going into fix-it mode, right? Make it happen mode. And if there's a roadblock, we'll go around it, or we'll go over it, or we'll go through it, or whatever, but we'll figure it out. 
I'll figure it out. And we get so accustomed to, to thinking, you know, even when it comes to the Christian life, you know, the things that I'm supposed to do in order to live a God-honoring life, I have to do this, I have to do that. And we forget it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us that does all these things. Jesus said the rivers of living water, that's not something that we try harder to do. It's something that he produces inside of us. You know, this, this idea of I'm going to make it happen doesn't work in the spiritual realm. I, I was reading um, some context leading up to studying this passage. I was back in John chapter 6. Really interesting, at the end of chapter 6, Jesus is giving a teaching that people are struggling with. And this is what he says in John 6, 63. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That little phrase has jumped out. It stuck in my mind. The flesh is no help at all. What a great, simple way to put it, right? We're not going to get there. The flesh, this, this physical bodies and what we can do on our own, that's not any help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us if we are going to really see things happen in the spiritual realm. We'll never be able to get there in our own power. Most of you know the name Neil Armstrong, right? Y'all know who Neil Armstrong is? This is a test. Okay, just, just checking. See, uh, Neil Armstrong was the first guy to walk on the moon. Um, he was born in 1930 in Ohio, and uh, August 5th, 1930, at the age of six, he took his first flight, which 1936, that's pretty unusual. To, for a six-year-old to be flying, uh, but he was hooked from uh, just a very young age. He went to Purdue University, where he graduated in 1955, then went to work for the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, or NACA. It was a government agency that researched planes. Now, a couple of years later, about three years later, this became part of NASA. When NASA was created, it took NACA uh, within it, and uh, so Armstrong's dream as a child. He always dreamed of, of doing big things. I, I didn't find anything that said that he dreamed of walking on the moon. That might have been a little bit beyond uh, what a young child could dream of. But if he did, if he ever had that dream, I'm quite, quite confident of this, he would have never, as a six-year-old, thought, I want to walk on the moon and someday I'm going to get there on my own. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure it out. I'm going to, you know, I don't know, flap my arms really hard and fly to the moon. I mean, you know, even a six-year-old, I think, no, that's not going to happen. And then as he turned into an adult, he, he must have realized that there were things that he wanted to accomplish that he couldn't accomplish in his own strength. And same is true in 1961 when, so NASA uh, had been around, I guess, for just a few years. And President Kennedy um, said, you know, by the end of this decade, we'll put a man on the moon. And people heard that and thought, wow. It was evident, even in 1961, there was no way to make that happen with current technology that they had available to them. They had to create a whole different paradigm, a whole new way of thinking. They had to go outside the box in order to make that happen, which they did remarkably. But nobody would have thought this is something we can do on our own or in our own ability, the way we're doing things now. You know, for us to try to live out the Christian faith or to try to have some kind of living water coming out of us in our own strength, that's about like trying to get to the moon on your own. It's not going to happen. There's no way. But when the Holy Spirit gets involved, then all things are possible. 
And we see that in Acts chapter 2. We actually, if you're reading along with the church reading plan, that was yesterday. But Acts 2 is when the Holy Spirit comes. And the, the, the uh, disciples are filled with the Spirit. And first thing that happens, they begin to speak in these languages they don't even know. There are people gathered from all over the world. They speak all these different languages. And they're able to communicate in the native tongues of all these people, even though they didn't really know those languages. And so it's a miraculous thing that God does. And he's communicating the gospel message. And people are hearing it in their heart language. And just so many people come to faith. But then something else, perhaps the most remarkable thing that happens on the day of Pentecost is when Peter stands up to preach. Because let me remind you that about six weeks earlier, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was three different times. How do you explain someone going from being so afraid to admit that he even knows Jesus to standing up in front of thousands of people and boldly proclaiming the gospel? And read the message. It's not like you put him to death. Like it was bold, man. That kind of boldness can only come through the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there were a couple things that happened. One was he saw the resurrected Jesus, which that'll kind of light you on fire a little bit, you know. And Jesus restored him and said, feed my sheep, and gave him an opportunity to express his love for him and, and all that. So he was saying to Peter, I'm not finished with you yet. But then when, when the Holy Spirit came, that's when Peter just stands up, he begins to preach, he has this boldness that he's never had before because the Holy Spirit produces in us things that cannot be explained or replicated any other way. It's only through the power of the Spirit that we see these kinds of things happening. And so our goal is to, to seek to do what Paul describes in Galatians 5, 16, and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Anybody else struggle just like I do and say, man, there are times where I know there's the desire of the flesh, and there's the, des the desire of the Spirit, and they are not the same. They're, they're constantly fighting against one another, right? It's like you, you, often we know um, which is which. I mean, there are times where maybe we're unclear, but I think most of the time our issue is not, I don't know what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. It's how do I make that happen, right? How do I not choose the flesh? Give me an example. Most of us can probably relate to January. I don't know if anybody starting a new year decided, I'm going to eat a little healthier this year, take a little bit better care of myself, um, that motivation came for me a little bit earlier. It was in the beginning of December. My wife and I are part of a health sharing organization, and they give you a pretty substantial discount if you meet their health incentive, right? And if you know me, you know if there's a discount involved, I'm going to be pretty motivated to make it happen. And so I've always had this health discount, and it came time to apply for it this year. And there are a few different factors, but one of them is body mass index, BMI. And that's just totally, you know, if you're this tall and you weigh this much, that's, you know, they figure it out. And so they have this number, this BMI number that you have to be at or under. And so I plugged in my current weight and height and I went, uh-oh, um, about, about five, six pounds heavier than I need to be in order to get this health incentive discount. Now, that's not a huge deal, right? Five or six pounds, not a big deal. Uh, I'm thinking I can do that and probably do it reasonably quickly if I'll change some of my my eating habits. And so I knew what I needed to do. 
And when it came time for meals or it came time for snacks, I knew the right decision to make. But can I just be honest and say, my flesh didn't want to. Right? I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to go this other direction. And that's how we find ourselves in the spiritual realm a lot of times. It's like, yeah, I know that this is the right decision. I know this is the way God would have me to go. But, boy, my flesh really wants to be over here. And, and walking in the Spirit is a matter of submitting to the, the, the Spirit in those areas. To give me just another example. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Let's say that somebody offends you. Okay, yeah, They've done something to hurt you. And you find yourself beginning to get angry and bitter about it. Well, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? To walk in the Spirit would be to live by Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, where it very clearly says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's pretty clear what we need to do, right? So I'm feeling bitter, I'm feeling angry, and I don't want to forgive. But if I'm going to walk in the Spirit, the Bible clearly says, forgive, get rid of bitterness, forgive as Christ forgave you. So I know what I'm supposed to do. Knowing what to do is simple. Doing it is not easy. Yeah, I think that's most of the time our issue when it comes to walking in the Spirit. It's not, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, it's that I don't want to. And I'm battling between flesh and spirit. So practically speaking, it's like, okay, well, then what does it look like to walk in the spirit? And this is so important. I want you to hear me. We cannot walk in the spirit aside from the power of the spirit. Please hear me on that. Because, again, I think our tendency is to circle back to I can make this happen or I'll try harder. No, it's how do we tap into the power of God that lives inside of us. When the Holy Spirit came, then there was a totally different power for the disciples back then and for us today that we just have to figure out, how do I surrender to that? How do I submit to that? And filling my mind with Scripture and spending time in the Word and prayer and around other believers and those things, it's like helps me to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit so that it's the Spirit working through me and through us in order to make that happen. We're not going to get there on our own. We cannot make it happen in our own power, in our own ability. But the good news is this, that this spirit that Jesus said is coming and did, of course, come, enables us and empowers us to be able to do all those things. So let's circle back to where we started today. Jesus invites all of us who thirst to come to him. Are you thirsty? Are you spiritually thirsty? Is there a part of you that is dry, a part of you that you think, man, there is just this constant longing inside of me that won't go away? And I'm, maybe you don't even know what that longing is for. But today I want to tell you that that is a desire that God put in us to lead us to him. The thirst that we are experiencing is a thirst for him. And Jesus said that if you'll come to me, then I'll, I'll give you drink. I'll give you living water. I'll give you eternal life. But we have to choose to make the decision to trust in him, to turn to him in faith. I said earlier, that will give you the opportunity to do that today. And I want to do that right now. I want to give you that chance to, to say, I'm going to turn to Christ in faith. I want to... Pray a prayer of, Jesus, I'm trusting you. 
And this is for those of us in the room, but this is also for those of us that are joining online right now. You, right where you are, whether you're here in this worship space with us, whether you're watching at home or wherever you may be, the invitation is for you. Jesus said, come to me all who are thirsty, and he'll give us life. So if you haven't yet made that decision, what's stopping you from doing that today? Are you ready to come to Jesus, to drink from him, and to experience the life that he wants to give you? If the answer is yes, I'm going to lead us through a prayer. I'm going to pray this little phrase is, I'll stop after each phrase and let you kind of repeat that back to God in your own heart. But if your desire is to trust in Christ today, then I invite you to pray a prayer like this with me. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm thirsty. I've tried to satisfy my thirst with so many things, but the thirst just keeps coming back. I confess that I'm sinful and I can't do this on my own. I need you. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Right now, I turn from my sin and I place my trust in you alone to save me. Thank you for making me your child today. Amen. If you prayed that prayer of faith today, welcome to the family of God. You are now filled with living water. You're part of God's family. And we want to celebrate that with you. We want to come alongside you and help you. But you know, I know many of us know what it means to trust in Christ. But here's the thing. You can be a follower of Jesus, but not actually walking by the Spirit. So my second part of the invitation today is to those of us who are believers, but just quite honestly aren't walking by the Spirit. We're trying to do things on our own, in our own ability, our own power. And I just want to invite you today to surrender. I want to invite you to just kind of wave that white flag and say, I can't do this. I need you, God. I need to surrender in a fresh way to your leading in my life. In just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to pray with you right outside these doors the Next Step Center. We'd love for you to come pray with us. But I also want to say to those that are joining us online right now, we have an opportunity for you to respond to and especially if you prayed receiving Christ for the first time, there should be a little link in the feed that you're watching right now that you can just click on. And just take a minute to just fill that out and send it to us. Say, hey, I want somebody to know that I made that decision to trust in Christ. After I pray, our team's going to come. They're going to lead us through just a couple more moments of worship. I want to encourage you, those of us that are here in person, just slip out and come see us right outside those doors in the Next Step Center. We'd love to pray with you, whether that's to celebrate your decision to trust in Christ or whether that's to pray with you to say, what does it look like for me to truly be surrendered and walk in the Spirit? Let's pray together. Lord, today, right now, my prayer is that we will we'll just live surrendered to you. Lord, we want to walk in the Spirit. We don't want to try to do things on our own. I mean, we, we want to so often, but it's just not a good plan. And we fail, Lord, so often. But right now, my prayer is that we can um, just surrender everything fully to you. Lord, we need you. We need your power in our lives. And we want you to work in ways that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.